there's an exodus happening in the church because of this stuff. What if we have to redefine what church is? We might have to. What is church? And is what we've been doing church? Yeah. Or is it something else? Because of our traditions, we've kept our balance for many, many years. Here in Anatevka, we have traditions for everything. How to sleep, how to eat, how to work, how to wear clothes. For instance, we always keep our heads covered and always wear a little prayer shawl. This shows our constant devotion to God. You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Welcome to the 42 Podcast, where we discuss life together, looking for answers to life, the universe, and, well, everything else. Here are your hosts, Rob and Lindsay. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. So, what's your morning beverage this morning? I believe it's a Starbucks breakfast blend. This cool market we have has been selling Starbucks consistently for like three bucks a bag. So we've oh, been wow. stocking up. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it's like eight or nine bucks at the regular grocery store. So we're drinking a lot of Starbucks. Cheers. What, what are you drinking it out of there? That, that swanky looking. This lovely cup, which I would like to show pictures of the cup. I'm not sure if you got my photograph this morning, but I'm drinking out of the official 42 podcast coffee mug beautiful cup i'd like to preface it with this is a prototype i i want i have a a vision for what it will look like in the end but yes yes my prototypical coffee cup with our go ahead what's our catchphrase i'm gonna fight you on this basically on that yeah (laughs) yeah this that i'm gonna fight you on something yeah one or the other yeah but i got these in the mail from you this week with some notebooks too, which I love. I love notebooks, so I've I've got them on my desk. They're beautiful. Maybe we should send another picture just to see if people are like, "Oh, that's cool merch. Make more." That would be encouraging if we had. Well, and that's that is part of what we're looking at. Where it's okay, we want to get to a point where we're gonna have people who you know they want to invest in us and what we're doing, so we can expand. And this is part of expansion. So. You know, what What does that look like for us? How do we continue to grow with you guys, our audience? And yeah, I don't want to lean heavily into going like the advertising route and, oh, you know, every 
30 minutes, we have to put an advertisement in kind of thing. But, you know, yeah, how but like a, what that will be. A paywall, maybe? Like, like here's here's my thought. Like, you know how sometimes you, you discover a, a podcast and you're like, oh, this is really good. I want to go back and listen to old ones. So you go, like, you can you can go back, like, three seasons, but then before that, if you want to listen to more, you got to, you know, there's a paywall. I like kind of like that idea because our older stuff, for me, is embarrassing. Not you. You're fine. But I embarrass myself. <laughs> I would go for, like, a Patreon, but keep the episodes free. <sighs> fine. I'd rather keep the episodes free. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, the part of the premise that you and I originally proposed with this is kind of that barroom conversation. That's true. If it's a good conversation, you might buy a round for everyone at the table kind of thing. And I'd rather keep that. Yeah, yeah. That it, anyone can come sit and join. And hey, if it's good, buy a round. Yes, that's a, that's a good way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the premise, again, is just keeping that conversation going and we're not at a point where we're ready to do this just yet but we're getting real close i think so two weeks out from our last book club book this is our second week out i think this is the second conversation yeah jesus and john wayne episode two part two i mean emotionally now that you've gotten some distance from the book have you been able to process a little more the things that you were assaulted with (laughs) last week's episode was a lot of raw emotion really kind of unpacking the different horrific moments that we've seen or experienced with failures of the church and that's not comfortable i mean that's never comfortable and and one of the things that you kind of kept pushing me on towards the end of that episode was ravi zacharias yes and kind of that downfall i when I was listening to the edit to the episode, it was, wow, yeah, I, I really sound like I don't want to engage with that. And some of that is because I actually liked his logic. And then watching and seeing what is an entirely illogical set of decisions based on desire just wreak havoc in people's lives because he made manipulative horrific decisions you know he's dead but those decisions are going to live on in people's lives for a generation or so yeah and i didn't want to engage with that because that yeah that's raw that's rough that's i like it when something is laid out logical and when it's not even with elements of faith that people are like well there's no logic in faith there is. And I felt like his thought process helped show those things. But now with everything he's done, it's now that's... I. Yeah. Mm. There will always be manipulators. There will always be those who want to do nothing but... Watch the world burn. And they'll use whatever means and tools they can. Because it's easy to institute a blind faith in people. It's cheap. It's it's incredibly cheap to institute a blind faith that is due as not, not walk in, not journey with, not consider, wrestle with. 
And I don't think that that blind faith is what the Bible calls us to entirely. It wants us to wrestle with the text. It wants us to ask questions of the text. It wants us to, you know, you build a relationship with someone. You don't just go, hi, my name is Rob and you're whoever and build a relationship without getting to know that person. You don't just exist on that first name basis and then build a whole marriage kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You ask questions, you explore who they are. That's what the the text is calling us to. But it is cheap and easy to to build that blind faith. And that's what's happening it has happened in a lot of these churches that have fallen. They build a blind faith. They manipulate it. And they make money. Yeah. And and that... There's no way around it. That pisses me off. So, going into Jesus and John Wayne, I knew... I knew I was going to be ticked. I knew I was going to be hurt. Because that stuff is entirely opposite of what I want to work and build and be in the church. But, at the same time, we can't... We can't look away from the train wrecks that are that side of the church. I don't even want to say church, because it's it's not the church when it happens. It's somebody's personality cult using scripture as the basis to justify themselves. Yep, it's hijacking something that I don't even think is really from the Bible anyway. The, the system, the setup... The structure, the scaffolding, whatever you want to call it, I don't even think that's in the Bible. Parts of it are. I don't think much of it is. Parts of it are. We should get into that sometime because I <laughs> I want to dissect that on the table brutally with a scalpel. <laughs> I, okay, to be entirely fair, the mugs we were talking about earlier... One side is the 42 logo, and the other side says, I'm going to fight you on that. So I just held my mug up saying I'm to tell Lindsay I'm going to fight her on that. Yeah. But you're biased. You're really biased because you're in a fairly structured, orthodox church. I've seen you in the pulpit, and it's kind of fancy schmancy, and I, I don't know how you could divorce yourself from that. Are you cyber-stalking me? <laughs> How did I see that? Probably because I've sent you links at different points. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) I've sent you a few of my sermons and been like, hey, let's talk about these, and we never have. I just toss them up on the podcast when we need a a filler. Yeah. But, all right. Yes, I'm a part of the PCUSA, but I'm not... I'm kind of like an independent contractor, if you will. Mm. Because... I'm not ordained by PCUSA. So you can't get fired for any of your opinions? Oh, no, I can absolutely get fired. See? But not by the Presbytery. I would get fired by the church. Your local so the church, people. Right. So the local church would have to make a decision on that. You know, what you and I talk about, what you and I say, is nothing that I wouldn't entirely say there. I, I may not be as blunt as I can be with you. And PCUSA is structured in our government form. Our worship, we have a lot of freedom to express and do things and be creative. So I've been there uh, seven and a half years. It'll be eight in August. And 
you know, we're on our third worship format since I've been there because we're on our third worship team leader. Mm-hmm. Our worship service looks entirely different now because we have a new worship director. So we have a lot of freedom in what we can do. We don't have to be, I grew up Episcopalian, so we had high church. It wasn't like high, high church, but it was like, it was the low end of Episcopalian high church. <laughs> which is the high end of Presbyterian high church. I think I'm going to need a diagram or something or a flow chart. <laughs> okay, so high church for Episcopalians is like the lowest, least formal version of a Catholic service. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Catholic being like incredibly high church. The only other part of high church above Catholicism, I would argue, would be the Orthodoxes. Yeah. But that's just differing in style, not so much, you know, level of worship. So Episcopalians, our high church was like Catholic low church. Our low church is like Presbyterian high church. And Presbyterian low church is like evangelical Protestant praise service church. Mm. If you want to go in formality of service. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, that it's like church talk on that part. Sorry. No, it's 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 interesting. It's just really weird and interesting and odd. Yeah, and that that part of it is rooted in tradition. 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 And, and that's the key word: tradition. Tradition. Not scripture there are things that we do that are definitely scripture based but there are tradition based in our worship yeah i know i sometimes i'm not sure if anybody really knows what we're doing (laughs) what are we doing (laughs) why are we doing this (laughs) is this helping anybody or is it just feel good yes all of the above and that that's a part of the diversity that is the church that is the broadness of the church and we're entirely steering away from pieces that we wanted to talk about today but i think we can i think i think we can come back to this at the end because you and i had prefaced a couple things that we were going to finish with so we're let's put a pin in that because we will come back we will re-explore some of this and get to that. But you really had something you wanted to talk about. Like, you've done research this week talk about. Uh, some. I didn't definitely didn't do as much as I should have done. Like, I read an article a couple times and I listened to a podcast. It's hardly, <laughs> hardly anything substantial. But it's just that I'd never really heard of any of it before. And I'd... I don't know, like, let's let's talk about Reagan. Do you want to? Because I have only ever heard his name, like, mostly, unless it's, like, on Family Guy or something Seth MacFarlane does. It's always, like, this hushed, whispered name of veneration and so forth. And I'd never really heard any other perspective about him. And so it was kind of interesting to hear about his really pretty manipulative going around loopholes and this and that about the whole um funding for the contra 
group um, and how freakishly afraid he was of of communism and like why is that and is it valid well uh, that's a big question especially as we're in the middle of what's been going on in the ukraine you know how, how much of yeah what was old old russia how much of that was valid and i mean putin we'll just run down this road for a moment putin is i mean he is the fruit of the ussr i mean he's ex-kgb he's died in the wool what that system was and i think we're seeing the last of that fruit play out with him and with the ukraine and it's horrific and horrible but that era. So you were born in what, 87? Yeah. Okay, so you were born under... Reagan. Alright, so you were born under Reagan, but have no memory of the Reagan years. No, not at all. But he was just... He is this kind of myth of conservatism, of the Reagan years are the golden age of republicanism and conservatism, because yeah. he came in kicked butt the economy went up and you know it was the golden age of the 80s yeah yeah it's kind of terrifying when you think the 80s were 40 years ago yeah i don't like that let's not, <laughs> let's not talk about that <laughs> are you feeling old <laughs> i am <laughs> I asked my daughter if she thought I was old, and she's like, no, you don't look old. I'm like, oh, good answer. Okay. <laughs> so apparently I'm not like, kid. kids don't think I'm old yet, so that's that's good. <laughs> A favorite thing to do, brief aside, is Melinda and I will occasionally ask students, you know, how old they think I am. Because they always peg me as older than her, and she's a little bit older than me. And she loves it because they keep putting her in her, like, early 30s and me in my, like, 40s. And it's all, come on, guys. I'm not that old. <sighs> <laughs> but yes, the, the 80s were 40 years ago. It, it is this kind of mythological golden age of conservatism and comfort. The, the USSR, I mean, we had a good enemy. I, I think that's something we need to focus on is we had a good enemy. Yes. Because, you know, those, those communists were the enemy and they were against everything we were. So, you know, with that having a good enemy, the end of the Cold War, feeling like, well, we didn't know it was the end of the Cold War at the time, but feeling like we were pulling ahead in that race with with the Russian, because some of the things were starting to fall apart for them. I think that gave, and, and it's cumulative, because it wasn't just the Reagan, that was two generations of former presidents, including Carter and the policies that put us in that position from defense spending. Which is really interesting when you think about it in, in grand terms of history. What was it that Eisenhower warned us of right as he was uh, leaving office? I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. In the councils of government, we must guard against 
the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. And this is right before things switched over to Kennedy. So the tensions are rising in Vietnam. We've already sent some troops over there. You know, there's this kind of growing war footing. Kennedy comes into office. The space race really starts kicking off. Part of that is also because in the space race, we were worried about the Russians being able to launch nukes at us through with missiles. So we built missiles. Yeah. They built missiles. And, and money was just poured into defense funding, into the Vietnam War, you know, the end of the Korean War. And I, I think that's cumulative to what Reagan was sitting on at the end of the 80s, is we had put a lot of money into defense, into, you know, having a good bad guy, into... Uh, it's speculated. Did you ever hear of the Star Wars project? Yes. Or Project Star Wars, or whatever they called it. And yeah, uh, but it was Star Wars. Satellite that could send missiles from space, sort of. Well, it wouldn't be missiles. They called them. It would have been rods from God, is what it was called. <laughs> Tungsten rods that would have just dropped from space, and by the time they re-entered and hit, they would have the kinetic energy of a nuclear bomb without the nuclear stuff. That was theorized. But then also lasers in space that could shoot down missiles. Oh, I guess I didn't know those details, but, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. I read a lot of popular science and mechanics when I was a kid, <laughs> and that was some of the articles back then. Uh, anyway, but, you know, we, we had this kind of rising spending in, in military and feeling superior, and I think this is where it's interesting to then kind of connect where politicians start going back and connecting to the faith groups and we started hitting on that a little bit at the end of the episode last week you had billy graham meeting with pretty much all of them it looks like he met with eisenhower johnson uh nixon oh, i forgot about nixon yeah nixon uh carter reagan so i mean you you get him meeting with these presidents and you know as the government is rising in its power and influence as it's showing that it can fight at least the big bad guy even though we're losing in a war of attrition with vietnam you had that spook that devil that was always there and and the church kind of started tying itself to that political power and influence of you know when it's god's man in the white house things go well when it's not and you vote for whoever are uh repugnant cultural other is things go badly i don't think that works in the long run mm -hmm. let me rephrase that that doesn't work for the church in the long run and that's part of what uh jesus and john wayne starts unpacking is these rises to power that the church has in tying itself to politics yes to a political figure here and a political figure there and then a little more influence here and a little more influence there yeah which brings me to one of my favorite phrases with my kids because this is what the church wants to do we may let me I, i'm speaking of the church in a broad sense again but in a lot of ways what that broad church wants to do is legislate morality Can you legislate 
morality? Well, I think we do that because we say that stealing is wrong. Stealing is immoral. So we tell people not to steal. We tell people they shouldn't murder. That's moral. So we kind of do that. The question is, where do we stop doing that? Well, okay, so we can agree stealing is wrong, right? Yes. Well, what if you're starving? It's still wrong. It doesn't make it not wrong. That's where the courts can decide not to prosecute or, oh, let's not prosecute. Instead, let's connect, hook you up with programs. But that doesn't make stealing not wrong. It still makes it stealing. It does, but... What we've done is we've legislated this degree of morality into our laws that, yeah, stealing is wrong. We're going to stick with that, and we're not going to help you even though you're starving. But stealing's wrong, so you get punished for that. Does that make sense? I don't understand what you're saying. (laughs) I don't get it. We're creating a society of laws rather than a society... or a society that's built in community. Community being, we will help and love our neighbor. A society of laws is, we're going to tell you what's right and wrong. It's not the state's job, though. You know, the state's job isn't to tell you, isn't to build community. Is the state's job to build community, or is it to have a military and a postal service and keep bad things from happening if they can, and to protect the nation? It would be fantastic. I don't know. I think that's the church's job by itself to build community or other programs. It doesn't have to be a church. It could be a mosque. It could be a a synagogue. It could be a boys and girls club. I don't know. But um, yeah, you can stuff it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's I don't know. But okay, All right. All right. All right. You but you hit it. You hit it right on the head. What happens though when the church instead of building community, which is their job, building community, love, and grace, and helping our neighbor, loving our neighbor, what happens when we tie ourselves to power instead? And instead of doing the job of loving our neighbor, we do the job of legislating morality. Because this is what happened. Mm -hmm. The church, and, and... Not just Billy Graham, but the church began to desire power over community. And we have a couple generations where the church has done this. We desire power over community. And then we, you know, it's that pendulum swing. We swing back and it's no way we'll build community. But, you know, we started a snowball rolling So what you're in desiring political influence. I don't think that's legislating morality. I think that's legislating religion. Legislating religion which is completely different or it's not the same yeah it's not the same as morality because what happens when you legislate religion is you have a little boy in school who is a muslim and everybody else is a christian and they say okay everybody let's stand and put your hand on your hearts and let's do the pledge of allegiance well he feels like he shouldn't do that because that's kind of against his religion but what the school is or, or having prayer time in school, that's legislating religion and making and incorporating and mixing something that should be personal and something that should be in the state. And now you have kids in school that feel 
persecuted because they are not Christians. That's what happens when you when you legislate religion in the public sphere. And and you're entirely right because there's this pesky little. <clears throat> All right, I say pesky with a, a grain of sarcasm. Please understand that. It's more than a grain of sarcasm, but there's this wonderful little thing. It's called the First Amendment. Freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Of religion. You can be whatever you want. So how do you get around that as a church? As someone wanting to tie yourself to political power, but you can't have the legislature say this is the correct re- form of religion. How do you do that? You do it by legislating and getting them to legislate your version of morality. Right. And you do that. And, and that's... Yeah. Yeah. That's why I say legislate morality. Because we're not trying to legislate our religion. We're just trying to legislate what is right. What is good for all But that is... People. So I don't understand if you're being sarcastic or not, because that is legislating religion. I am being sarcastic. Okay. I am. I'm I'm using the term morality because we can't legislate morality. We can agree on basic principles of what is good. We can agree. Okay. Murdering people. Bad. Right? Everybody agrees on that. That's a thing the government can say. Yes. We can agree on that. But what right does the government have to go into all of the finer details of morality based on a religion? Those areas that we split hairs on. Between religions, between faith structures. What about having the Ten Commandments in a Supreme Court? A plaque of the, of the Ten Commandments in a Supreme Court. That's legislating morality. Uh, I mean, and religion. in a way it is. And in a big way it is. Now, I will say you have the three big Abrahamic religions that will hold value to the Ten Commandments to some varying level. Okay. So there's rooted law history that's of value there, but I don't think we need to slap them on every piece of, you know, judicial branch building. It has the same emotional weight as the Confederate flag, I would argue. Um, it's, yes, you're right, um, the, the Ten Commandments influences everything that we are as a Thousands culture. Thousands of years of law. However, by pinning it on a public building, it's pigeonholing... And, say, and and there's an emotional weight behind it because the same Bible that said that talks about the Ten Commandments also talks about circumcision. It also talks about um, slavery. It also talks about all kinds of stuff. And you get to pick and choose what what you want to sort of believe because the Bible says a ton of stuff. So in that way, there's no reason why a Muslim shouldn't have their equivalent of the Ten Commandments or or Sharia law on the Supreme Court building too, because because that's if that's what you're going to do, then okay, then they get to as well. So that's why you can't do that. It's not that, yes, the Ten Commandments are, are good, but you, I don't think it's right to have them on a Supreme Court building or what have you. And to me, that is legislating morality, which the mm, legislating religion, because there is a difference. I don't like that phrase. And I understand. It's not a phrase to be liked. It's a phrase that is supposed to be uncomfortable. At least how I use it. It's also inaccurate, in my opinion. But carry on. Yeah, we can fight on that. 
But so there, there's that whole huge connection of the church to the politic that is the influence of the church is peddled by the politician to gain voters and then vice versa. The church peddles the power of the politician yes. to yes. legislate their morality. I'm yes. going to keep saying it. That's the problem. That's the big problem is that is when you have the very powerful evangelical powers with a ton of money behind a presidency what do you think is going on there? And then you have presidents who are going to say whatever the heck they want. And they could actually be Christian or they might not be, but they're going to tell you they are because they want the evangelical base. So, and then you've got a president who disappoints everybody because, <laughs> because he's not actually going to fight the way the evangelicals want him to or whatever it is. Like, this whole tax-exempt business, I think is silly. I don't like... Oh! Oh, no! You can't touch my tax exemption. I don't like it. I don't like it. If you want to be tax-exempt, okay, I guess. But then follow the rules. If you want to be a political entity, cool. But you can't be tax-exempt anymore. And who cares? Just, I don't, I don't know. <sighs> that one I can understand if there's actually a stricter enforcement on the tax exemption. Because there are churches that are tying themselves to power that are, they're not churches. Yeah. They're just a religious political wing. Yes. So, okay, fine. I understand that if maybe there's a, a audit of that status, but because the tax exemption doesn't just apply to the Christian church, it applies to any religious organization, any nonprofit, that's one that I think, okay... Go ahead and audit a church, and if they are truly a church, fine. But if they're a, a church that's using, preaching more politic than Christ, uh, yeah, all right, that's manipulative, that's a cult. And that one's a gray area, though, because then you have the government examining what the church does. Why and... do we, well, then, then let's just take away the tax-exempt status altogether. What happens then? What happens if we do that? Uh, the Catholics rise up. But what happens financially to churches if we do that? It, it'll it really depend on the church. And it'll depend on what we say and do kind of with that tax exemption. Yeah, so I'm employed by a church, but I still pay my federal tax. You know, I still have all of my normal tax stuff, my social security, my da-da-da-da-da-da. If you're a pastor, there is kind of this little special exemption where you can get out of Social Security and something else on tax. I don't remember what it is. You really don't remember what it is. But it's not just pastors who can get that. It's anyone who's ordained within a church structure and belief system. So you'll, you'll see an increase, a bump there. You'll see stuff like purchasing. If a church needs to purchase, they'll get taxed for that. Property tax. So churches would have to pay for their building, their business, their parcel. I don't know. I think it would be good for the church because maybe we'd have to... I, I, I fantasize about going back to it not being about the buildings anymore. It not being about the fancy stuff. It not being about the pastor with a capital P, which isn't even in the Bible very much. It's not even... It's, I don't know. I think it's overrated. I think it would be really good for the church, capital C, to uh, have have uh, the bucket upended a little bit and see what 
tumbles out. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. That's actually what's happening right now. That is exactly where the church is post, I don't know if we are truly post-pandemic, but post-pandemic, that's what's happened. Church church attendance across the board has gone down by something like 30%. So there are churches out there that are in a bit of a panic mode because, you know, a lot of churches went online. That opened up a lot of families to go and shop around for the church they like online or the church that fit their political ideology because they stayed open because of their their anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers. They closed because they're mask safe. So the church is in a state of crisis. Yeah. And a lot of things are being upended in a way that is that is stirring that pot and having you know, individual churches examine who we are, what we're doing. Is this of any value? Should we keep going? And within the next five years, we'll probably see a lot of small churches and a handful of denominations begin to pare down their church-based ministries. I think I've spoken to this a little bit in the past, but like even the church I work for, we're starting a conversation in just over in a couple of weeks and have brought on consultants because it's okay. We need to talk about this. We need to have some open conversations on who we are and where we're going. So that is happening. The church is seeing a reckoning from everything that has been the past connection to power because you know, if that's one of the that is one of the quickest divides that has happened in this church with this pandemic of, you know, we agree or disagree with the state of precautions and it, it's tied to a political stance and system. And those politics are bearing that fruit and the church is just collapsing under that. And what will come out of it, I think, is something that is by far much sleeker and much more aligned to what the church is supposed to be than what has been. <laughs> now, I'm speaking as someone who has hope in the church, but something that you also hit on is, is I am biased. I am biased because I work for and in the church. But something that I have struggled with recently, I don't know if I've talked with you about this, is almost all of those mentors who I was close to in the early formative years... Mm -hmm. They've left the church. My youth pastor, who I knew from, uh, I, I don't know, I was 12 or something. He he went, he did seminary, he was a pastor, and now he's not. I mean, he's still a pastor, he's still ministering, he still loves Jesus. But he's not in the church system and structure, as it is traditionally. He's doing other things that are more kind of acts-ish ministry base. Uh, another close friend and mentor whose his whole ministry was youth ministry. He's he's out. He's gone. He's doing things that are, again, he, he still attends church and he still has a connection and ministry within the church, but not in he's employed that way. He's doing things outside of the church in ministry that are different. There's an exodus happening in the church. Because of this stuff. 
What if we have to redefine what church is? What is... We might have to. Church. And is what we've been doing church? Yeah. Or is it something else? And that's... That's it. And for me, that's been a bit of a kind of a beginning state of crisis for me. Because it's these are men I was close to that have been influential in the faith I have. And I don't disagree with what they're seeing and what they've done because I've started asking that question of myself. I'm in a good church. I'm in a good spot. I, And I know this, and I'm thankful for that. But I haven't always been in good churches or good spots. I haven't always seen the best foot of the church. And I know there's a lot of stuff that's being left on the table because of the way the church structure is right now in terms of ministry. So there's a part of me that chews on that and, and wonders about what comes next. And Melinda and I have had those conversations because I, I do have a love of the church, but I'm, I've also tried not to have blinders on to the worst aspects of the church. From before that young adult program, I've seen the, the negative side of it. I've seen the failures at different points. I started working for a church when I was 19. So that was 18 years ago. And I've seen a lot of good and I've seen a lot of bad in that time frame. And that's, that's a, again, a lot of what Jesus and John Wayne is drawing on. It's a lot of that bad. It's overturning the rock and, hey, <laughs> there's all of this that happens. It's there. Because the, the church has... We've traded influence. We've traded power. We've allowed people in who use scripture to manipulate. We... Yeah. So I don't think it's a bad thing that Jesus and John Wayne is asking. It's just not a comfortable thing. Not asking. Shining a light on. It makes you ask the questions, which maybe is even better. Yeah. And nobody likes to sit with the worst parts of who they are. Nobody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the knee-jerk reaction from the church and people of the church is, nope. Don't look. Don't even look. Yeah, nope. Let's not talk about it. We, we know there's bad, but nope. Let's just listen to our enthusiastic music and the charismatic fella up on stage and go home and have grilled cheese sandwiches and carry on with life. <laughs> and again, that's not every church. No. We're, we are speaking broadly about the church. It's not every church. It's not every system. But there's been a lot of abuse over the years. A lot. And I think that's burning off. You know, again, the pandemic world has accelerated a lot of things. And media helps shine a light on things. Uh, yeah. <sighs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm struggling a little bit with... Skepticism? Cynicism, skepticism... My knee-jerk reaction is to doubt, is to is to is to push back, and I don't know why. I feel like I can never. I feel like I can never move on from from that spot in my. <laughs> when Thomas doubted, what did Jesus do? 
asked him if you... Put your hand in my side and touch my hands. He didn't grab him by the collar and say, no, you doubted, you're out. He embraced the doubt. Jesus embraced it and said, okay, all right. And the the way this moment is always portrayed is very solemn, very, oh, you know. Like he was calling Thomas out, you know, like he was embarrassing Thomas almost. It's kind of how I've always read it. Like, look, Thomas, you screwed up. <laughs> See, you want to touch it? But it... And of course he wouldn't. That's how I've always read that. It's interesting. But it's, <laughs> he acknowledged, yeah, you know what? I get it. You have doubts here. Look, wounds. Here are the wounds. The physical scarring of what has happened. Touch them. See. Don't don't be afraid to doubt and don't be afraid to validate where your faith is. You know, and hey, this is my my favorite. I, I used it in a sermon, but let's talk about Peter, our New Testament screw up, who is that blundering idiot who we all are in some way that walks through the New Testament, walks with Jesus and just says the dumbest things. And gets excited because it's power, it's influence, it's, 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 and then panics and then cuts some dude's ear off. And then, you know, it's Peter Hmm. who we look at him and we give him credit for being the one. and, And I've used it both ways. We give him credit for being the one to get out of the boat. And then we harass him for not having enough faith to keep walking on the water next to Jesus. But again, he's that New Testament screw up who is us, where it's okay, we got out of the boat, we said, Yay, Jesus, and then we sank because we doubted. It it's okay. We still got out of the damn boat. Yeah. Yep. Doubt is not a bad thing. Doubt is something that helps us be skeptical. It helps us not fall into and I've used this and I keep using this, that holy man principle that I keep talking about. We look at the pastor, we look at the church leader, and we're like, oh, they must be closer to God, therefore they understand, they know, they are holy, da-da-da-da-da. They would never fail as a human. And it, it doesn't work. <laughs> it never works. Jesus is the ho- only holy man, and he didn't fail, but we do. And we're just the barest of shadows of what he did. In his time. Yeah. Alright, that's my tirade. <laughs> Before we started this conversation, you came up with an escape hatch. Yeah. <laughs> Would you yeah. like to open the escape hatch? Yeah. Well, and it's kind of related to what we were just, what you were just tie, tirading about. <laughs> Is, so... My son goes to Awana, and I like it because it's a social activity for him to do. He's homeschooled. He needs to see other humans besides his sisters and his little brother. And so it's good for him that way. I like the games. I like the social stuff. And he has this curriculum that he does where he has to memorize scriptures, which is also cool because he doesn't memorize anything except for spelling words, you know, homeschooling. And I think it's I mean, apart from it being the Bible, it's mentally awesome to memorize stuff. It's really good for your brain. 
So I'm reading this book with him and it's talking about the Bible and it's true and how it's true. But the logic behind the Bible being true is it's true because the Bible says it's true. And obviously my son can't. He's just like, okay. And it just really bothers me that kind of like, well, why? Why? How do we know that it's true? And um, that, you know, this basic stuff that he's learning about sin and about the nature of God, coupled with Jesus and John Wayne and the issues there and some questions I have about what makes Christians any different than any other person. Um, and how do we know people are really Christians? And some other questions I have. I have this idea, Robert, to next week for our podcast, explain to me how we know God exists like I'm nine. Let's talk about it because I've got this crazy book called like five proofs for the existence of God. And I could probably read some of that, uh, but my brain explodes a little when I read it. And I I would just like to have this conversation with you. And then, and I will study that book, and I think it's important. But it's just, I, I, I want to have this conversation and be able to go back and forth with you sort of as a devil's advocate, too, because I love... That's like my that's like my my jam is the devil's advocacy. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, let's unpack that one. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of not doing awesome as far as my comfort level in my Christianity. I'm hitting some walls and I feel really alone and lonely because I don't know anybody else that asks these questions, and I've been asking these questions for 20 years. <laughs> I don't know. Ever. Probably not that long. But it's just really lonely, and I feel like a screw-up, and I feel like I'm disappointing my friends. I just feel like every time I, I make any progress with Christianity, and I feel like, yes, this is totally true because this, this, and this, and I'm just feeling it. And because we say it's not about... Sorry, I'm sorry. One more thing. But we say yeah. it's not about feelings. But it's also not about logic. So what the hell is it about? <laughs> I have no idea. I have nothing else to put my hat on. I don't know. I can't logic my way through it. I can't feel my way through it. And I don't know. I just need a sedative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, no more coffee for you in the morning. So I've said this multiple times whenever I have to talk about my job. But one of the reasons that I absolutely love being in youth ministry is because the questions that the kids will ask are the questions that we're all afraid when we become adults to ask in the church. Because we feel like, I've been in the church for 30-some years. I should know this, but I don't. Because we don't ask or we don't... We don't know even where to begin to unpack it. So how do we do that? Which is why I love the idea of having this conversation. Not the idea of having... I love that we're going to have this conversation. And 
you know, again, time frames on listening. We're going to record this conversation in a week, so we need to post up on social media, you know, the week before you're listening to this episode. Because if there are questions out there, I'd love to be able to incorporate them in. Yeah. You know, again, all of our information is in in the podcast notes for either email or Facebook. You can private message us. You can send us an email if you have a question. And if we don't get to it in the next episode, we can tackle it in the episode after or, you know, when we get them. Again, we do love the interactions we get from, from you guys, our listeners. But also, I think this is going to be a good route for us to, to sit with for a little bit. Because Jesus and John Wayne was more deconstructing than I thought. You know, I knew it would be to a degree. But it it's a hard hit. It really is. So, yeah, let's let's go back. Let's ask some of those scary fundamental questions that sometimes the answer is just have faith. Just have faith doesn't always cut it. (laughs) And that's okay. That is okay. Uh, Now, I'm going to give the same disclaimer I give with my students with this conversation. I'll give this again next week. If I don't know an answer or have a route that we can find an answer, we'll look together. We'll ask together. And we'll journey that together because Jesus didn't reveal himself to me in, in a cloud on high and give me all the answers. He gave me a book, he gave me a mind, and he told me to ask. He told me to explore. He told me to journey with him. Which is kind of my big thing, where it's, you know what, let's go through this together. Let's let's live life together. Yeah. Finding answers. Which is the root of what this podcast was a year and a half ago, you know? This is good. It's a good uh, way to come back around. Because I, I think it, yeah. it did give us some interesting conversations. And it'll be interesting to go over it again from a different perspective. Yeah, another that's... It's perfectly fine. It is. And there is no question. There is truly no question that is too stupid. There isn't. One of my favorite podcasts is No Dumb Questions, run by two of the smartest men I know. Not know, but listen to. And that's Matt Whitman, who does 10-Minute Bible Hour, and Dustin Sandlin, who does Smarter Every Day. And these guys run a podcast, No Dumb Questions, that's just talking about different aspects of, of life. Exploring their area of expertise and knowledge, you know, Destin being an engineer, uh, Matt Whitman being a pastor and theologian. But then, you know, what's history? What what's What is? And that's, you know, you and I have camped in a spot of exploring what life together is what is it to navigate with family to navigate faith to navigate the things that we love and enjoy in faith out of faith around faith yeah i appreciate yeah your willingness to be antagonized <laughs> and that's okay curiosity is a good thing especially in faith and we don't do that. Speaking broadly, the church does not do that well. 
because curiosity almost always inevitably leads to just have faith. What is faith and where is this magical block that I'm supposed to have to build up my wall? And it, it doesn't work. And we've talked about that analogy where it's, it's if we build a wall of faith, it will crumble if we understand it's a journey. It doesn't. It grows. It lives. It breathes. Mm -hmm. And when we hit the rapids, hey, we have a little bit of fun. Yeah. So we have that to look forward to. Yes. I think I'm done talking now. <laughs> <laughs> we never got to the Iron Contra stuff you wanted to talk about out of the book. It's okay, though, because I have books to read about it. <laughs> so. Okay. Hey. It's good having these conversations with you. It's good exploring, asking questions, and you know what? They're scary. Don't get me wrong. They're scary. Mm-hmm. But they're good questions to ask. So. Good talking to you, Rob. Hey, good talking to you too, Lindsay. And everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining. If you have a question, submit it and we'll, we'll tackle it. Maybe we'll, maybe we can make a fun segment out of it. Yeah. Like a once a month. I don't know. We'll have to come up with some kind of goofy name. If it becomes a thing, we got to come up with a goofy name. Yeah. All right. So. Bye. All right. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the 42 podcast. Please take a moment to like and subscribe. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter to add your voice to the conversation. Thank you.